0: Good morning. Well, as you noticed on our overhead, we are not continuing in our study in Exodus this morning. But instead, we'll be looking back into church history. This Tuesday, October 31st, the probably most, the most common thing that comes to mind for you all is Halloween. But 506 years ago, on October 31st, a German priest named Martin Luther sent his disputation concerning the practice of indulgences within the Catholic Church to the Archbishop of Mainz. Years later... His co-reformer, Philip Melanchthon, said that he nailed that disputation, known as the 95 Theses, to the doors of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. That day marked the formal beginning of what we call the Protestant Reformation. And so today, we will be looking back in church history... In honor of the Reformation but also with the hopes that we might continue on in the legacy that these Saints left for us and so perhaps some of you are quite familiar with church history and familiar with why you're not a Catholic today or perhaps you're not and so Today will help you discern those things, and you will see why we believe what we believe. And in particular, we're going to focus in a specific doctrine of the Reformation, which is sola scriptura, which means by scripture alone. The Reformation did not happen overnight, and while Luther is credited for starting again the formal reformation there had been seeds of protest planted hundreds of years prior and those seeds were just starting to emerge from the soil groups like the Lollards, the Waldensians, and the Hussites had already been protesting various practices of the Catholic Church but it was Luther's actions that set the world on fire and so Let's start with the most basic thing. What is the Protestant Reformation by definition? Well, to be a Protestant means you're protesting, one who protests. And the Reformation was an attempt to see the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, reform its practices. And as I just stated, groups prior to Luther, by hundreds of years... We're we're already protesting particular practices, various practices, all throughout Europe. But it just so happened that this German priest nailing his 95 theses on a church door sparked a change in world history, a change that we're still living in today we need to remember that at this point in time, there were really only two main churches within Europe. You had the Roman Catholic Church in the west and the Eastern Orthodox Church in the east. And these were the same church until 1054 when the Great Schism happened. And so for all intents and purposes... This was the church from the beginning, from the days of the apostles. So to be a Christian in continental Europe was to be Roman Catholic. So any sort of protest was a huge deal. It was earth-shattering, to say the least. What was being protested? That's a necessary question what was being protested well for Luther in particular among other things were what are called indulgences indulgences were the practice of paying money for the forgiveness of sins for the blessings of God and in particular to see relatives who had already died be released from purgatory that they might go to heaven There was a known phrase in Luther's day, a known phrase used to encourage people to pay indulgences, and it went like this. As soon as the money clinks into the money chest, the soul flies out of purgatory. But beyond indulgences, the abuse of papal authority, the papacy, Vatican, okay, all of the the institution of the Pope and the hierarchy of church authority. That's what we'll call the the papacy. So the abuse of papal authority and elitism of the the clergy. They were robbing the poor to feed the rich. That's not an exaggeration. They were robbing poor people in the name of God that they might build their cathedrals, and fill their bellies. Also, the theology of the sacraments was being protested. The sacraments, the Catholic Church still to this day believes there are seven of them, but the main two, the only ones that Jesus instituted, are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those were being protested. The nature of justification. What does it mean to be made right before God? And lastly, the one will be... Honing in on today, the nature and authority of the Holy Scriptures. The nature and authority of the Holy Scriptures. So what did the Protestant Reformation accomplish? Well, lots of things, but two major ones that I want to point out. It birthed the Protestant church of which we belong to. Here's what many don't realize today. The fact that you're here and not in a Catholic church, means that you're still protesting Rome. You're still protesting, because you're here and not there. The second thing it accomplished was it led to the literacy of the Holy Scriptures by making the Bible and Bible study material widely available through the printing press. This is a huge deal. And this is why, again, we're focusing on Sola Scriptura today. The Catholic Church had guarded the Scriptures from common people. In fact, up until this point, and up until Rome's response to the Reformation, most Catholic masses were held in Latin. And no one spoke Latin but educated clergy. So people would literally go to mass they would go to church and listen to the entire thing in a language they did not understand this is where i believe we got the phrase abracadabra from because someone once said all i hear when the priest speaks is abracadabra and the church of rome guarded that saying that it was dangerous for common men and women to have the scriptures that they need it to determine right doctrine, right practice. But here we are today. You are still protesting, whether you know it or not. And you have this in your hands, hopefully, in a language that you understand. And you can thank the Protestant Reformation for that. And so we're going to be looking back at church history and most assuredly in the text itself today, in the scriptures, to see what does it mean for the Bible to have sole authority for right belief and right practice. If you would, join me in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, please rise for the reading of the word of God. And for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you today for the gift of your word. You have spoken to your people, and you have always revealed yourself to us through words. And today we have the gift of the canon in our very hands. We can most assuredly know what it is that the one God has said. I pray that we would be astute listeners, that we would apprehend what it is you're saying to the church, that we would hear you and obey, and that your word would dwell in us richly. Please have your way among us. May we be a people transformed, sifted, and stirred by your word. May you be magnified in us and through us in all these things. Spirit, speak to us today through your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we, we, we first need to ask, how is it that God reveals himself to creatures? How is it that He reveals Himself to creatures? There's two main ways He does this, really two only ways. The first is through creation itself. We won't spend much time on this. We know from creation that there is a Creator and that He is good and that He is wise and that He cares for His creation. We can also conclude that because everything that has been created has its source in him he must be eternal he could not rightly be called creator if he himself is not eternal because if he had creation if he was created himself then there is another source that can't be him all things would then flow to that source rather than him but because he is creator of all of creation, he must be eternal. This revelation can be seen by all and is sufficient to hold all people everywhere accountable to the knowledge of God. This is what Paul teaches in Romans 1. His works are so obvious and manifest through the created world and its order that no one is without excuse. No one, whether they've heard the name of Jesus or not, they are responsible in their acceptance of this good creator or their rejection of him. But the second way that God reveals himself is a much more particular way. And this is how he reveals himself to his people those whom he has called. And that is through words. God has always revealed himself to his people through words. To the patriarchs, he would speak verbally, whether through a burning bush, through his own presence, or through an angel. Angel just means messenger, by the way. He spoke to them with words and he always has and even they understood the benefit of passing these down passing these words down verbally generation to generation until they were preserved in writing all the stories of the patriarchs leading to Moses were passed down generation to generation until Moses himself writes the torah In fact, every moment of revelation found in the Scriptures was recorded, kept, and collected so that we might have today the complete revelation of the words of God to His people. Notice I say complete. It is complete in and of itself. Nothing can be removed. Nothing can be added. Did you notice that in the reading of the law today? we know that the canon is closed. The canon is a, it's just a Greek word. It means the rule or ruler. So the rule by which we measure Scripture is the canon, and it is closed. No, no person, whether they look like an angel of light, can add to Scripture. And no one can most certainly take anything away. And so if you're a member of this church, or if you've been visiting with us for any real amount of time, you know that we believe, we teach, and we defend that the Bible is no mere book written by man, but is indeed the complete Word of God. We see this from Paul himself. He says that the sacred writings... Speaking to Timothy, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Sacred simply means holy. That these writings are set apart. They're not common. But they are set apart for a purpose. There is nothing like them. If possible, one could read every book ever written throughout all history. And I, would, I will guarantee that no book would compare to the Scriptures. The sacred writings have a self-evidencing quality to them, that they are different, that they are set apart. The Bible is not the Bible because the church says it's the Bible. The Bible is the Bible because it comes from God, and the church just has enough spiritual wisdom to recognize it as such. Do You see the difference? The Bible has survived every onslaught that man can think of. Complete nations have risen up to oppose the Holy Scriptures, and those nations have crumbled, and the Word remains. Man comes and he goes. He is like the grass, here today, gone tomorrow, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. That's how we know that this is from God. No man who stands against it will survive. These sacred writings have a self-evidencing quality to them. It is apparent that they are from no man, that no mere mortal imagined them up. But it is because the scriptures are the very words of God. This is what is meant when it says all scripture is breathed out by God. That term actually means they are from the spirit. This is, in Greek, pneuma means spirit. So breath, spirit. It's where we get pneumonia from, right? Pneumatology. It's, it, so when the, the Bible speaks of the Spirit, He speaks of His movement as if breath. This is why when God gave breath to Adam, He gave him his, the Spirit of life. This is why... This is why Jesus teaches about the Spirit being like the wind, whom you can't see, but you see His effects. And so when Paul says that all scripture is breathed out by God, he literally means the Spirit of God has penned the scriptures, that their source is in Him. So because of this, because of this, this is what we maintain as a church. The scriptures are inerrant. That means they're with, without error. There is nothing wrong at all in the Bible. There is no error Furthermore, they're infallible. That means they're without fault. Nor can the Scriptures cause fault. And lastly, we uphold the verbal plenary inspiration of the Scriptures. So, what does that mean? Simply means this verbal means words, plenary means complete. Inspiration from the Spirit. Get it? Inspiration. By the Spirit, So it just simply means that every word and every part of the Holy Scriptures in the original language came through the inspiration of the Spirit of God. What we're not saying is that all who wrote the Bible didn't know what they were doing and it's like they were possessed or something. That's not what we're saying. But God used faithful men with their their history, their context, their experience, and their personality. He used them to pin his words. This is why the Bible is so alive. Because though written thousands of years ago, it's timeless. It speaks to you. When I was 18 and I began taking very seriously Bible reading, I realized something, that the Bible knew more about me than I knew about myself. I can guarantee you will have that same experience if you take it seriously. If you submit yourself to the Scriptures, you will discover who you really are in light of who God really is. Every word and every part of the Scriptures Have come about by the Spirit of God. And we know, okay, and I don't, I want to be clear, we know that Jesus is the living word, okay, John 1, and that he is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1. But just consider for a moment what you would know about Jesus today without his word. He's not here. He is, but you know what I mean. He's given us his spirit, but his spirit primarily communicates to us just like God has always communicated to his people with words. So in recognizing that the Bible is holy, that the scriptures are the words of God, it is only appropriate then that we revere The Word, we love the Word, and we obey the Word. In fact, this might stretch some thinking here. To obey the Scriptures is to obey Christ. To love the Scriptures is to love Christ. In Psalm 119... I'd highly recommend you read how the psalmist writes about the law. But listen to this, Psalm 119, starting in verse 44. This is what the psalmist says. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place. For I have sought your precepts, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and shall not be put to shame for I find my delight in your commandments which I love oh and listen to this I will lift up my hands towards your commandments which I love and I will meditate on your statutes the psalmist is practically worshiping the Torah the law he's lifting his hands up to the law of God why because he knows in seeing the law, he sees God. Also, Jesus says so plainly in John fourteen twenty one: Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. In the following chapter, chapter 15, verse 10, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. To obey the Scriptures is to obey Christ. To love the Scriptures is to love Christ. We must be People of the Word who handle it rightly. It is the Scriptures that have authority in the church because they are from God, not man. How do we then rightly handle the Word of God? How do we apply the Scriptures, so to speak? Because we recognize that every word and every part of the Scriptures is truly from God, we must then acknowledge, as I've said, that Scripture alone has the final say over faith, doctrine, tradition, and practice. This is what is meant by Paul when he says that the Scriptures alone make us wise for salvation. Notice again in verse 15, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He then says all scripture is breathed. So we can infer very easily that all scripture is from God and all scripture is necessary to make us wise for salvation. All of it. This this is missed so often, I think, in modern evangelicalism. So much of an emphasis is put on experience. But this, this is what the Bible actually says. Okay? We affirm, like the Reformers, that salvation is by grace through faith, but faith comes through Hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's Romans. Truly, there is no salvation outside of the Holy Scriptures. There is no salvation outside of the Holy Scriptures. For in them we find the true Jesus who must be the object of our faith if we wish to have life everlasting. And more so than just that, the Bible isn't simply a list of propositional statements that give you enough knowledge to be saved. Verse 16, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Again, the goal of scripture isn't just to get you into heaven, but in the word we find everything that we need to know regarding God, his works, his world, And how we must live in response to this end, right? To this end, for that goal, the Bible is timeless. It speaks to all peoples, in all places, and at all times. Also, the scriptures always reveal to us what is true. And they either confirm or deny other claims to truth. So it's not, simp- it's not just that the scriptures speak to religious things, but the scriptures speak to all of life because all of life must be lived unto God. Your life is your worship. And so the scriptures rightly speak to every facet of life. This is something that the evangelical church in America has long forgotten. We've let the state tell us what our children should be taught in schools. That ship is sinking, by the way, but they're not going to tell you that. What I mean is Darwinian evolution is literally a sinking ship right now. Math has proven it completely untenable. It makes no sense statistically. But I doubt you'll see a school board change its tune anytime soon. Because they would rather hold on to the lie than admit that there is a creator. But you, beloved, need to know the word. We believe as Christians that Jesus died for the sins of the world, and he was buried, and then he hopped out of the grave three days later. It shouldn't be hard to also believe that a flood covered the earth, or that this Messiah was born of a virgin, or that God created the world in six literal days. The scriptures speak to everything. They speak to gender. They speak to sexuality. They speak to child rearing. They speak to marriage. They speak to laws. They speak to magistrates. They speak to dealing with your neighbor. They speak to authorities. They speak to everything. It is sufficient and complete for all of life, it is timeless all peoples in all places at all times and so again how do we rightly understand this truth it's not difficult to look at the Christian landscape and realize there are a lot of different opinions on things and people have landed in a lot of different places so what do we make of all of that I'm going to give us a principle for that. But first, I want us to look 2 Peter 1, starting in verse 19. Peter says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. He's saying pay attention to the word. It will shine. It will be a lamp unto your feet. Until the day dawns, And the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He's looking back, Peter's looking back at the Old Testament Scriptures and saying that all of those prophecies are real and valid. And they're meant to be understood by the people of God, that they have a purpose, that we can't just write off these things, but that these men actually were carried by the Holy Spirit. And then again, look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Paul charges Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I hope that you are one that doesn't want to be ashamed, but wants to know how to rightly handle the word of truth. The Bible is plain enough that the simple minded can understand the main story of the Bible. But it's not so plain that one can see every layer of truth and beauty hidden within its pages. No one will ever master the Scriptures because the Scriptures must master us. But but we must grow from drinking the milk of the Scriptures. We must move on to eating its meat. How do we do that? How do we know the totality of what God is saying to his people? How do we read the law, the writings, the prophets, the gospels, the epistles? How do we read apocalyptic literature? Here's our interpretive key. Very basic. The Bible is entirely about God establishing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. With Jesus Christ, the eternal son, as the climax, the focal point, the hero, the one to whom everything in the scriptures points to. The Bible unequivocally leads us to Jesus Christ and instructs us how to live by faith in him. Everything written is to that end. Jesus himself says this. He met with disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they didn't recognize who he was at first. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Paul also writes to the church at Rome For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. That's our interpretive key, that everything points to Christ. It is all for our faith that we might see Christ and glory in him. That key of interpretation is what the reformers called the regula fide. It's a Latin phrase. I'm going to be quoting a lot of Latin stuff. so um, If you miss it and you want to know it, I'll tell you later. But that phrase is called the regula fide* which means the rule of faith. They didn't invent it, but this was the faithful tradition that had first started within the early church. Simply put, the rule of faith is this. Scripture interprets Scripture for the benefit of our faith. We cannot fully know who God is or what He has said or what faithful Christian living looks like unless we submit to the Scriptures as a whole. This is what Paul means, again, when he says that all of Scripture is God-breathed. In fact, the New Testament was literally being written when Paul writes this. So he's first and foremost referencing the Old Testament. We know, because the canon is complete, That all of Scripture means all of Scripture, but at least in Paul's natural mind, he's looking back to the Old Testament. He's saying it's the Old Testament that will make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Do you believe that? Do you see Christ in the law? Do you see Him in the prophets and in the historic writings? Listen, church, all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. All of scripture completes the man of God and, and equips him for every good work. We don't learn the Bible when we just see something in its historical context, but when we understand what it is speaking to us regarding Our faith in Christ Jesus what it is speaking to us regarding our practice as a church today and what is speaking to us regarding how then we must live we must be students of the word always to neglect the scriptures is to neglect Christ If you do not already read the Bible regularly, start today. Start today. Quit giving yourself excuses. Start today. There's been more bloodshed over this book than you can even imagine. To secure it in your hands today. Don't neglect it. Throughout the ages, countless saints have given up their lives because they knew what was in this book, and they could not deny it. I'm going to repeat a lot of the same sentiments, but listen. If you want to know Christ, then you must know his word. If you want to live intimately with Christ then you must live intimately in His Word. If you want to love Christ and be found in Him, then you must love His Word and be found in it. Don't neglect so great a salvation. Please do not be tempted by indifference or intimidation. Read the sacred scriptures again and again and again. And don't stop reading until the day you see Christ face to face. And even then, the word's not going anywhere. Earth will pass away, but his words remain forever. We will be living in his words on that day. And so as we get into my last point, we still have some time, so... Semper Reformanda, it's Latin for always reforming. We must be people of the book because the Reformation must continue. A popular phrase coined during the Reformation was Ecclesia Reformata Semper Reformanda, which means the church reformed, always reforming. They understood that they rightly reformed a portion of the church and rebuked Rome. And yet, there was still a long ways to go. Until the Lord Jesus returns to consummate all of world history, until he comes to judge the living and the dead and to fully redeem his church, we must always be reforming. There are no laurels to rest on. Now, this doesn't mean that we need some new, never-before-heard-of doctrine, right? Or that we need to innovate how the church lives before God and before the world. Honestly, there's a lot of churches that should be ashamed of themselves how much how they take their cues from culture rather than the Bible. We don't, we're not asking for that, nor am I teaching that. That's not the kind of reformation I'm giving, What we need in Reformation is the acknowledgement that we easily sin, that we easily fall into error, but God does not. Therefore, we must always be testing our beliefs and our practices against the Word of God alone. I can guarantee you this. If you take very seriously reading the Bible, if you submit your life to it and become a student of the Word, you will not only find faults deep within you, but you will discover that the church today is still in desperate need of reformation. I'm going to share with us now kind of top-down areas of reformation and why it still matters. So, so don't think that I'm just providing you with a hit list of why we're better than someone else. That's not at all what I'm doing. You'll see as we conclude this section the aim of it all. Reformation is still necessary in the Roman Catholic Church. While Rome did address many of the concerns of Protestants in the Council of Trent and the subsequent Counter-Reformation, they still have much room for Reformation. The First Vatican Council in 1870 put forth the Pastor Eternus, which means eternal pastor. This document states that the Pope is the true and eternal successor of the Apostle Peter and that he assumes primacy and supremacy over all other Christian leaders. It also asserts that the Pope is the pastor of all Christians everywhere. And finally, it states that the Pope is infallible when he speaks from his papal position, ex cathedra. So in other words, when the Pope is discharging his duties as Pope, he essentially holds the same authority as the Holy Scriptures themselves. To this day, the Roman Catholic Church upholds and affirms the pastor Aeternus. So, it's no wonder, it is no wonder then, why the reformers believed that the office of Pope was the office of the Antichrist. Now, notice I include Rome when I say the church needs to be reformed. Their house is on fire for sure. We have brethren in the RCC, and so we must desire that they reform. There are bad actors in their midst, most assuredly, but they're in the Roman Catholic Church, are the people of God. Next, reformation is necessary among Protestants, our kindred. Among our own people, we can see sins as egregious as Rome's. We have so-called pastors pitting Jesus' red-letter words against the words of Paul and Moses. Some going as far to say that Paul's writings were sexist and homophobic. The problem is obvious. Those aren't just Paul's words, but they're God's. And so these so-called pastors are asserting that they have authority over the Scriptures, that they can decide what is true and what is not, rather than submitting themselves to the eternal Word. We also have others who are teaching that we must unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament and that love wins. As if true love can somehow be defined by our disobedient, debased, and debauched society. These preachers are throwing the pearls of scripture before swine. And they are happy to receive their slop-filled interpretation as orthodoxy. We have many churches throughout evangelicalism who have reduced the power and the authority of the scriptures to only what they deem necessary for salvation. Week in and week out, they preach only a portion of the gospel, and in doing so, they only preach a portion of Christ. They ignore that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, For reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Again, there are far too many evangelical Christians today flirting with the idea that somehow you can have a kind of relationship with God in which He will whisper and confirm secret things to you outside of the Scriptures and that those things don't need to be tested by the Word because they feel that they're real. That sort of thinking is dangerous and will lead to ruin. The Scriptures alone are how we know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And to add to that, the Spirit will never say or confirm things that are contradictory to what has been written because they're his words. For him to contradict what has been written written is to make him a liar and God does not lie. Reformation is necessary for us personally. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of God must be our bread and our drink, church. You and I are very far from the mark of fully knowing the Lord and meeting His righteous standard. Our hearts, our minds, our souls need reformation. Each of us are in a desperate need for the work of the Holy Spirit. And he will only accomplish this work of sanctification if we meet him in his word. It will not happen outside of the word. Reformation must continue worldwide because scripture itself defines the goal for us and we're very far from it. This is the goal for the church from Christ himself. Ephesians chapter 4 Starting in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to, to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. "...for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith." Do you see that? "...until we attain to the unity of the faith and and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human craftiness." cunning, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the goal. There is one Lord... One faith, one baptism, one God and Father overall. And the Lord desires that we reach a maturity that can only be reached when we are one. Reformation must continue. We will not have our denominations, our sex, our differences, those sort of things. Sex, S-E-C-T, by the way. We won't have any of that when we finally see Christ face to face. And for us to ignore that that's what he wants to accomplish today is to miss the goal all the while. We are one church, one body because there's one head. We must continue to reform and call others to reform with us. So as we conclude... I want to reiterate a few things. We are here today because, the faith, because faithful saints of old understood sola scriptura. They were not only willing to fight for the word but to die for it. They knew scripture alone is the final infallible source of all authority for the church of Jesus Christ. They also understood that until every man, woman, and child had open access to Bibles in a language they easily understood, the Scriptures would be twisted by evil men. We are at risk of repeating the errors of history. I believe there is a direct relationship between false teaching and biblical illiteracy there is an unbelieving amount of false teaching just in our country alone because people don't consider it worth their while to see what God has said in his own words. They would rather sit under a fool and give him money because his message makes them feel good. Sounds a bit like indulgences, does it not? Church, we cannot and we must not take for granted the divine gift of the Bible. Your love and obedience to the word is in direct proportion to your love and obedience to Christ himself. In the written word, we behold the living word. There is no knowledge of Christ outside of his word. There is no relationship With Christ without his word there is no worship of Christ that is not first instructed and regulated by his word we must each in our respective vocations put in the work of knowing and defending the Word of God history history will prove out the church to be victorious Conquering with her Lord and her King. But victory implies battle. And living according to the truth of what the one God has said will cost you something. And it may cost you everything. But no matter how difficult the battle or what the fight may cost you, we have this assurance from God. And this is the same assurance that the reformers had. Post tenebros lux, after darkness, light. Let's pray. Lord, truly, your word is a gift from on high. And your word is a lamp unto our feet may we never neglect the gift that you have given. May we be students always of your word, recognizing that you have spoken to your people fully and finally. And it is a gift to be cherished, to be revered, to be honored on high. Please keep us from neglecting it. May we seek you in your word always. And may you cause it to dwell richly in our hearts and our minds until the end of the age. Please, Lord, reform us. In your name we pray, Christ Jesus. Amen.